five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh for the WDMA. You want to get over there and join it right now? Call me up anytime, ask me any question, and we'll do our best to give you some help. Let's see. Let's get on to the news. Okay, here we go. And uh, we got to click on this one. The craziest art project in internet history. Let's give it a watch because that's what we do here, right? Okay, so this is, oops, this is a project done by Reddit called Our Place. And what they did was they gave everybody access to, anybody could do what they wanted. Anybody could put one pixel, one of six colors, I believe, uh, and you could put it every five minutes, you could put one pixel down. You say, well, that doesn't sound like much fun, you know? Well, what happened was on Reddit, teams were made and alliances were built and, uh, and war started especially when people put up their country flag and then somebody else's country took it over or rode over the top of it. And there were actually diplomats who would negotiate treat peace treaties in the midst of this. It ran for four days. It had over 10 million people involved and it had uh, 160 million pixels posted. So let's watch it for a little bit here. And you can see the flags emerging, right? and uh, logos and a lot of flags. And then uh, there's a black group that, I mean, a group that wants to put black over the whole over the whole thing. Some things get written over and then they come back to life again, like the flag did, flags extending out. And that flag gets written over, there it goes, it's gone. And then they figured out that they could put it over back here, I think, or they, oh, there it got written back in. Then they extended it to the side to give people more room. There's that, the, the, the black, the, the group that wanted to overwrite the whole thing. And uh, then it gets extended to the bottom. And then uh, now it's on the bottom. And this is really good. This is France and it's got landmarks and all kinds of inter interesting stuff. And then at the end, <laughs> Reddit just made it so you could only post a white pixel and it erased itself. How cool is that? Uh, a collaboration. And, um, you know, so you can say to yourself, well, what is the <laughs> what is the point? Well, that's a good question. It, it, uh, <laughs> Four billion minutes were spent in this group. 236 countries participated. OK. With the U.S., Turkey and France having the most tiles placed. Uh, you could say that it was pointless, but it was also the most collaborative artwork project in history. And uh, Waldo's in there somewhere. You can go find him. There's all kinds of, of places where you can see the, uh, see the thing all spread out. Okay, yesterday I talked about millennials and Gen Z, and a big part of the project was this article by Accenture. Uh, so I looked it up, and it has interesting diagrams and things. Um, you know, but the biggest thing is that, and it seemed a little high that 91% preferred shopping in drug stores and 84% preferred shopping in department stores. Well, it turns out that this was from 2013. And if you remember, we didn't even start keeping track of internet advertising, for example, until 2009. So 
this is like ancient history. And I was a little disappointed with that. Um, but, you know, what can you do? <laughs> uh, I won't mention who the author was of the of the millennial and Gen Z article. Okay, Elon Musk uh, decided not to take a board seat. Uh, two conditions were two conditions were asked of him in order to give him the board seat. One was that he keep his mouth basically shut, and the other was that he only buy up to 14.5% of Twitter. He decided those were unreasonable rules. Now he's free to buy whatever he wants in the free market, and he's also uh, can say whatever he wants, and which he probably would have anyway. And so, um, you know, it was really interesting to me that Elon, you know, and I can't quite figure out Elon, you know, if he's, I, I just can't figure him out. Um, but uh, he said over the weekend that Twitter was dying, Musk uh the, this was really interesting. There was a, someone from Ruman Chowdhury, Director of Machine Learning Ethics. I thought that was really interesting. Machine Learning Ethics. Uh, so, they have a, so they have a Machine Learning Ethics Director. Do machines have ethics? I don't know. I don't think so. That's why you need, you need them. Anyway, so they said that Musk's immediate, Musk had an immediate chilling effect on the company's culture. Twitter has a beautiful culture of hilarious criticism, uh, hilarious constructive criticism. And I saw that go silent because of his minions attacking employees. That is certainly not the only thing. My number one rule is do not feed the trolls. And so she, he or she, I don't know, said that they were a troll and Musk was a troll. And um, so they were actually going to worry about easing the the employees' concerns at Twitter. You know, well, you can say what you want about Musk, but, you know, my wife was booted off Twitter and never given a reason. Just her account got locked. No reason. As far as she knows, no violation of community standards. And she had basically no followers. I mean, maybe 60 or something. But uh, so Twitter might think they have a great culture, but it's an internal, internally facing culture. And I don't think that they do grasp the real world realities of what people out here in the, in the flyover states think of them. And I think maybe Musk will bring some fresh air. There's three scenarios that they wrote that could happen. One was that Musk... Uh, could partner with venture, you know, some capital firm and basically take it over. Another was that he just, he could beat the bejesus out of it, force the stock down and buy more and do it himself. Um, it'll be interesting to see. It'll be a lot of fun. And that's the trouble with a big dot com. Okay, growth rate for digital ad revenue wanes by Rob Williams. This I thought was interesting. Now, um, he, you know, this is a very complex graph. I really, really, you know, I think they could do much better on their graphs. It took me a while to figure this out. But so here's the revenue from, from 2020, and here's the revenue from 2021. So in, the, in quarter two of 2020, you know, which is like April, May, June, right when the world was ending, gee whiz, there wasn't much... <laughs> There wasn't much growth in internet revenue, 
or maybe it's just revenue. Uh, there wasn't much revenue in that quarter because the internet was on the rocks and we thought the whole world was on the rocks. So it had a 62% increase in 2021. Yeah, big deal. I mean, you can see this line is not just going through the roof. It's pretty level from 2021. And what he says is the, the differential has slowed fourth quarter 2020 and fourth quarter 2021, which is true. But it's, I mean, it's like a derivative of a derivative. But anyway, um, it does bring up something that we're all wondering about, you know, is uh, we saw in that other, another, another article, albeit from a long time ago, um, the Internet is only 19% of retail sales. Okay. And that's kind of consistent with those numbers, even from 2013, that 80% of people would rather go to a store, 80 plus, 80 to 90%, depending on what they're shopping for, depending on the convenience of the store. Okay, so are we facing a, a leveling off of the Internet? Are people finally realizing that it's, that it's not that good a deal? Well, this brings us to Julie Lapazlena. Um, a member and friend of WDMA asked me if I had if, if I had explored the subprime ex attention crisis. So I watched some interviews with Tim Huang, and um, here's an article from uh, last summer, Nathan Bick, and uh, it summarizes the book by Wang. And the, the basically the idea is that just as in 2008. When the world was buying up mortgages that were fraudulent. And the way they were fraudulent was that, I mean, in the 20s, you know, in the, in the, or in the 30s, in the Great Depression, the federal government stepped in and figured out a way to make money available to rural banks to, you know, let people buy, borrow money to, to, to buy a house. And that, you know, through World War II and a little beyond, well, into about the 70s, that that investment vehicle, those mortgages were bundled together and sold to bigger uh, investors. And they were based on the principle that you'll do almost anything to keep your house. You know, that you, you can lose your business or you can lose a lot of things, but you can get a job and you can do whatever you, you can, but you don't want to lose your house. You know, your wife won't like that. And so, uh, and so... They were the most secure investment in the world. And a lot of countries invested heavily in our mortgage base. Well, at the same time, uh, politicians figured out that if everybody wanted those and there was only so many to go around, maybe we could start uh, mortgage companies and just go down the street and try to get people to sign papers and give them mortgage money. And we'll put the, mix that in with the people who really are owning their principal mortgage. And a lot of what got bought was either second homes in Florida, and uh, or um, or or speculative homes in markets where the price, the real estate prices were uh, prices were inflating. And they were inflating partly because there was this free, easy money uh, dumped into the into the market. And so Tim is arguing that the same thing is happening with internet advertising. That we're, we, we have article after article after article telling us how great it is and, and almost no good case studies, I have to say. Uh, no real direct marketing, no real, no real holdout testing and all the rest of the disciplines that we can bring 
to the party, but we don't. Uh, ad agencies can make more on digital ads than they can on traditional ads. And uh, the ad managers like the idea of easy placement. We just put it out, you know, we just go into the auction and buy some place somewhere. And we don't know where it went, and we don't know if it really ran, and we don't know if anybody really saw it. But the bots take care of that by giving us lots of clicks, lots of views. Okay? And so Tim argues that in, a, in, in an on, that these, these ads, oh, this was really interesting, right here. Okay? The market for attention highly resembles more traditional commodity markets, such as oil, timber, and water. Water? Okay. And he tells the story of wheat farmers would travel, you know, they put it in the wagon and take it to town and get whatever price they could. But later, wheat was standardized by lot, by quality, by season, and other characteristics, and then turned into indistinguishable, abstracted commodities. And then the, these commodities, wheat futures, could be traded based on speculation about the quality of the next harvest. The futures and other financial derivatives developed on top of the underlying asset and became enormous markets. Absolutely. By the non-farmers. And so the Internet and wider economy are reliant on huge inflows of advertising cash. Ads are presented as a type of financial derivative whose underlying value comes from the attention paid to the ad by users. Uh, and Tim points out that there was a lot of overlap a lot of the a lot of the big wigs in in the big ad internet companies came from the financial markets and probably taught them how to do this stuff so um the the subprime mortgages became unmoored with the underlying value of mortgages and like fashion uh we've replaced use mortgages with users attention uh but and he says that increasing demand for digital advertising creates a need to generate more of the underlying commodity, Internet users' attention. But this attention is increasingly low value. We're paying less and less and less attention because of ad blockers, because we never see that purchased ad. Um, young co cohorts, when studied, appear to pay less attention, okay, because it's everywhere. Free speech or free services like search, email, maps would retreat behind paywalls if this ad money came up. Oh, also click farms and other ad fraud is rampant. And we've talked about this on this show. Okay. The surveillance capitalism, the tracking identity, uh, the third party cookies, the user profiles are all have all been developed to try to increase the value of those ads without much result. And uh Tim points out that governments basically created the first and last name system so they could better facilitate taxation. Fascinating little article here. I think you'll enjoy it. Something to think about. What if, what if the emperor has no clothes? What if the digital ad machine suddenly stopped? You can still use direct mail. We know it gets delivered. We know it gets engaged with because you have to look at it, decide whether you're going to throw it away. We know it goes to a decision maker because not everybody can throw things away from the mail, right? So we know you have engagement. We know who looked at it and didn't buy, which no other medium has. And obviously, that gives us the label data set to do machine learning with quality and find out real information about our customers. If you use machine learning, they can tell you what's going on, which almost no one does anymore.
But if you want to find out more, give me a call. Have a great day. Like and share. Your friends will know you're smart. Bye-bye.